This is an irreverent podcast. Check out irreverent.fm for shows from all our friends. Hello and welcome to Exvangelical. I'm your host, Blake Chastain. This week's episode includes an interview with David Bazan and Brandon Vetter. David Bazan is the performing artist who has performed under both his own name as well as the band Pedro the Lion. That was his band name for a long time, which he set aside for about a decade or so and has recently returned to touring under that band name again. I talked to them about the new documentary about David's career and life called Strange Negotiations. That documentary was just released on iTunes this week and is now available for purchase and download. I was able to talk with them actually between a couple of screenings that they did over the weekend. So this interview begins essentially in media res and we get right into what went into developing the documentary as well as a lot of the themes that are involved in it. A lot of folks that listen to this show also probably know David's music and work and I hope you really enjoy this conversation and enjoy the documentary as well. It's a great insight into Bazan's life and his work and career and I was just over the moon to be able to talk to them about this and that they were able to make time for me between these couple of screenings over the weekend. So we'll get right into it. Of course, you can subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Please rate and review it over on Apple Podcasts and let your friends know about it. If you want to support the show directly, you can do that via Patreon at patreon.com slash exvangelicalpod. And you can also, if you are interested in advertising, I am beginning to open the show up to advertising and 55% of the revenue from advertising will go to Brave Commons, which helps with uh, LGBTQ students on Christian campuses. You can learn more about that on my website, exvangelicalpodcast.com. This interview was edited and produced by Jake Lewis. Thank you very much, Jake, for all your work on this. All right, let's get into it. Hey everybody, and welcome back to Exvangelical. This week I have with me David Bazan and Brandon Vetter. I'm here to talk to them about the new documentary about Bazan called Strange Negotiations. Welcome to the show, David and Brandon. Hi, thanks for having us. Thanks for being on. I am. I was really, really thankful to be able to see the documentary, and I'm thrilled to talk to you about it right now. But first, I really just want to hear what what was the experience of shooting a documentary like for you, David? Is this something that, that you've done before, and what? how did that go? Um, I don't think I have. I mean, not a, no, I haven't been a part of anything like this before. Um, and um, it was what you'd think. It, I, I don't know. It was cool. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, it, I've been a part of some kind of filming. I can't remember what it was, but... And it was cool to, I don't know, see the inner workings of how stuff works. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't enjoy wearing a wire, but that's just, you know. Right. So how long how long did the shooting take overall for, for both of you? What, what did it, the actual, like, principal photography, if I'm using that term right? Um, yeah, yeah. How long, how long did you, because I think you've got footage from 2015 through... Mm -hmm. 2018 or so and then 
Um, so what, what was the, what was the shooting like? What, did you accompany on a tour? What was that like for you? Yeah. You know, it started, um, yeah, started in 2015 with the trip up here to Seattle to come to Dave's house. And that was, that was the first time we really spent much time together and met his family. And he was doing some warm up house shows, um, which I kind of, you know, I was really interested in the house show mm-hmm. as a set for the film, um, you know, and just knew that there was, the, there was so much possibility there. And, you know, especially, you know, doing it all over the country and just kind of, you know, truly being in people's living rooms in their comfortable space. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, just, just having context of what kind of, you know, tone Dave was able to set in, in these house show settings. And there was this kind of, you know, just ultimate inclusive feeling to them in terms of what could be talked about and, um, views that could be expressed. And so, yeah, we, we did four or five that time that I was up here, I got like crazy, crazy sick. Oh no. Yeah. And so it was kind of this like, you know, bumpy little start for me, but it was, it, you know, that kind of got us started in terms of the next step was just going out for 18 days with Dave. Um, so, you know, I was able to kind of understand the challenges mm-hmm. production enough and kind of trip up enough and make up enough mistakes, you know, and you, what you were asking Dave before, just about being a part of something like this, you know, it's, we really had to find our own way of doing this. Mm-hmm. You know, there wasn't, it wasn't like this system that I had already created that I just kind of threw onto Dave's shoulders. You know, it was very much like, what's, what's the best way to capture this? What's the best way to, to not, you know, alter moments and, and not, you know, provide stumbling blocks to getting these kind of moments. And it's different every film. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, and this one was super specific because we were traveling all the time. We were, you know, in, in a different setting, you know, almost every scene. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We weren't, we didn't ever stay in the same place long enough to shoot more than one scene, Mm -hmm. you know, it was a house show here and then you're at a hotel and then you're driving all day. And so, yeah, you're just, I, I hadn't realized, I mean, I guess that makes sense, but I hadn't really thought of it like that. It just, it never stopped. Yeah. Roll. Right. And it, was that something Brandon as doing other documentaries and things like that? Is that some, is the touring experience something that, that you've had something similar or was that totally new to you seeing what Dave does like on the regular year after year of just being in the car and, and doing those long hauls between shows. It was definitely different. You know, I had, I kind of started filmmaking, touring with bands, um, in a, you know, in a much more pampered way though, you know, like definitely not the crazy long hauls, but like, you know, buses with beds and stuff like that. Um, and so, and then just in terms of preparing for, you know, the next, the next thing and kind of always trying to problem solve before out there, like it was, it turned into this kind of like, yeah, just this crazy challenge every time, because it's like the ceiling was a different height than every house, you know, and mm-hmm. the, 
you know, and the light that was available was different in every house, and they had to figure out how to shoot with. Yeah, it just that was cool though to have a, a, a DP out the first trip. There was somebody out with friend and helping shoot and set up shots, and then all the rest of the trips, which were many, many. Yeah, uh, shorter ones, but still a lot of them. Brandon did all of the shooting and setting up himself, and so it would be like a three-camera shoot every night, mm-hmm. plus various pickups, shots all day. Yeah, know, um, it was just an enormous amount of of work, and so seeing that, I you know the 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 gear part of it really, I felt for you a lot because. The kind of gear and the amount of gear that Brandon had to bring with and had to had to keep it all organized, all these dumb little pieces of <laughs> plastic, crucial like, parts that have this little cubby. And if you don't have it, you're you're hosed. Like the whole, you have to, you know. And that, and when I, as I would see that. I mean, I was I had my own gear troubles, and you see it in the movie. Like I was wrangling. There's a point where there's just like a pile of cables on a bed, and uh, <laughs> so what situation caused that to happen? I was, Brandon's uh, gear schlepping was just so much more intense than anything I've ever had to do as a musician. Drummers come close, but it's not really. It's it's yeah. You always feel bad for the drummer. <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah it's like if the drummer and the keyboard player were the same no even then so much more (laughs) (laughs) well through the movie which i don't think i've told the name of it's it's strange negotiations is the name of the the documentary and that's also uh, the name of one of your albums as well dave um we see this this look back at your career as well as a retrospective of the last few years and your return to Pedro Lion as as a band name and as and as your your new uh, method of touring. When it came to looking back at everything, I mean, you you started this back in 2015, and you'd already sort of processed so much of these things in public. What was it like talking back through these things? I mean, I guess in some way you've always been talking through them, even through the living room shows. But doing it within this context was that was that different for you in any way to like address those sorts of things emotionally or, or to the camera? I think that the part of it where Brandon was just along for whatever I was doing was, was pretty comfortable, but the, the conversations about religion and politics and all that were, were hard to get at for some reason. Mm. Uh, I think I was in a pretty low point just personally. And then also just the way that the way that politics were going through that period, I wasn't processing it well enough to feel like I had something definitive to say about it, which I think maybe surprised Brandon. Mm-hmm. Maybe it surprised me too. I don't know, but I was uncomfortable having like going on the record in the way that I, that I would be doing. It just was, it was tense. Um, and so there was a lot of reasons why I think that was, but uh, um, but the couple that I named are, are, are I think, are the biggest. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. And Brandon, have you? Did you prior to doing this this project? Did you have any experience with this type of Christian culture, or evangel- white evangelicalism, or anything like that? Was that part of your lived experience, or was this sort of 
you're seeing this and you're seeing what what Dave has processed and what his fans have processed over time along with him and through his work. Was that new to you or did, have you had some, some exposure to this particular subculture? Yeah, somewhat, you know, I, I, I came to, you know, Christianity much later in life, you know, like it, it definitely wasn't a, a, you know, being born into this thing, like Dave says in the film where they didn't know anyone that wasn't a Christian. That definitely was not my case. You know, it came much later in, you know, high school years and kind of like youth group culture. Mm -hmm. Um, um, so, you know, I was, yeah, there was a lot of it that I didn't, I didn't quite understand, you know, and I, I wasn't, I didn't grow up with Christian music, uh, and that kind of being the, the only thing, um, that I was allowed to listen to. And so there was a lot of, which, which was actually really helpful for me because I knew just enough and, yeah, I understood just enough to know what kind of research I wanted to do and kind of like what I, what I needed to learn. And it, it led me down some, some really helpful paths in terms of just like personal growth as well, where I was able to kind of, you know, really study evangelicalism in America and, you know, from kind of the apocalyptic start of it, um, you know, to, the, the marrying of, you know, politics and kind of the inner workings of, of how that worked and, you know, a handful of different administrations. Um, and then to mm -hmm. where we are now, where, you know, I'm just far enough removed where I could kind of see it from the outside, but, but inside enough to, you know, have, have the helpful empathy, um, to, you know, to not just judge or to, to let the full kind of, um, meaning of things get out. So yeah, I was, I was really excited at, at the chance and, you know, devoured probably 15 to 20 books, um, you know, just leading through the, the history of American white American evangelical culture. Mm -hmm. And what, what made, what made Bazan's particular career and life story such a compelling topic to you as a documentarian? Yeah, you know, I think I think it was the way that Dave was processing this stuff. I think that there was, you know, a candor and an, and an eloquence, and just a connection with his internal life. Usually, people only get one one good way of communication, and you know, Dave got two. You know, through his art and through just speaking and conversating. Right, for sure. Uh, you know, and, and that just kind of creates this really helpful balance of being able to put smoke in the room, you know, with with music and art and kind of create tonal feelings and deliver lines based on this kind of complex thing that art can do, you know, with, with your emotions and then kind of just shine the stark bright light of day on things with just, you know, saying things straight up. Um, mm. and so, you know, through some podcasts and, and experiences with Dave's music, I just saw this, this way that this human was communicating these things that I thought would be incredibly helpful for a lot of people that, yeah, it was just being done in a way that, that I hadn't seen done before and that 
seemed like a film, you know, a, a documentary would be a good way to, you know, interact with, with that stuff. Mm -hmm. You mentioned earlier that where a lot of your footage comes from is these living room shows where Dave does both these things. You do so well, and I've attended several of them myself, of establishing this, this, you know, this intimate atmosphere. And one of the things that you say, I, and I can't remember whether it's when you're talking to someone at a, at a living room show, Dave, or if it's um, like a voiceover later, but you say that vulnerability is the antidote or was the antidote for something that, that when you were processing something earlier in life, that's where you, where you were drawn to is these living room sorts of shows. I really love that sentiment because I think it captures what it's like to be at one of your shows. I was also curious whether this documentary to you is the same sort of vulnerability or if it's as just as an extension of those shows, or if you think in some ways it's more vulnerable than you have been in the past. Um, it feels more vulnerable because maybe the barrier of entry is pretty low, especially once it's released. Um, anybody can, can kind of find it and, and view it in whatever context they're, they're viewing it in. And so, yeah, it does feel more vulnerable where at a, at a house show, once I leave the house show, it's the experience is over, <laughs> but this experience will go on for as long as I, iTunes. Uh, it's, it's, um, yeah. So the psychic weight of that is pretty, is pretty different. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Beyond that, it is kind of an extension of that. It's a, it's me having a, um, a meandering conversation about these kind of pillars of society and the, the way that I've always been interested in that, and I've always steered the conversation toward those things. If I was talking to somebody, or I would be curious about them, and that's how my music has gone, and that's how this this rendering of, of my, uh, my journey, uh, has gone. And so they do feel connected and like their, ex their expressions of, uh, this is an expression of what I was doing and the tone of it. Yeah. I mean, you, I guess I don't know all the way cause I'm on the other side of it, but if, you know, people like have talked, like you're saying where you, you've been to shows and, seems like the movie does that experience justice. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, yeah, it's a movie version of a house show, <laughs> <laughs> which run about 90 minutes usually, the yeah. house shows. So, yeah, it's very, it's very similar to that. Mm -hmm. when, you, when you're talking with someone at a show, uh, one of the things that, that you, you told someone is you're, in your music you were always honest. Do you think people are receiving it? Honestly, or do you do you think that your music allows people to be honest with themselves in a way that they might not otherwise? I think I've seen that in the past, and that is a hope. There's sometimes I will kind of realize what I'm doing and think, "Whoa, why am I doing this? Why am I saying this?" Um, <laughs> I just think of myself as a younger person who if I had been sitting in any one of these shows, it would have really helped me a lot because I was looking for for some way in which I could get permission to feel my feelings. Mm -hmm. I 
felt like I was forbidden to feel so much of what naturally came up for me. Right. Uh, and there are tons of moments through adolescence and early adulthood where I would hear a song or I would hear somebody say something and it would be, it would be this ray of sunshine that would, you know, burst through. And I would, uh, the way that I'm describing it, it feels like a, like uh, being occupied or something. It just, it just felt, yeah, they're just, I was looking for ways in which I could break the tension that I, that I was feeling mm-hmm. and the, the impossible. It was just a knot that just, I couldn't undo. And so every now and again, you just get these little, even like a hymn, like, um, come thou fount. I, that was not a hymn that I grew up with. And the third verse of that hymn says, Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my, they can seal it, blah, blah, blah. And when I heard that, I just was, it blew me away because I didn't even, I didn't know I was allowed to admit those things. Like right. I was, I was that like uh, hung up. And so that, that little bit of authorization to feel what I so clearly felt was, it changed my life and mm-hmm. it, it opened me up. And so if, if in my way, the, what I'm doing as a singer person can create a space like that for somebody else where they see me do something and they think, Whoa, you know, I'm, I don't think what that person thinks, but I, you know, I, I can think my own thought or, you know, realize my own feeling. That, that's something that motivates me for sure. Yeah. One of the things that, that happens throughout the, the show, I'm sorry, for in the movie is there's interstitials of your talking to like NPR, for example. Whenever you're talking to a sort of more general or broader audience, do you feel like you have to preface or frame things in a way? Whereas like if someone comes from comes from an evangelical background and has all of these lived experiences and references sort of built baked into them. Do those conversations have like a different, different tenor or do you think that what you have to say generally is the same to both audiences? I haven't always been the best at contextualizing what I'm going on about. I've been learning to do that more. I'm thinking of the 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 one with Sarah McCammon. I'm not sure if I'm saying her last name right, mm-hmm. but I think I was more conscious then of uh, maybe I was I had matured more by that point, and I kind of realized like people don't know what you're talking about <laughs> when you just start launching into something. And so there are times when, from cues, I can recognize that the people that I'm talking to in person at a house show or whatever. Are, they're using language that indicates that they're coming from this background. But yeah, in a, in a most of the talking I do is on a podcast, which is about Christianity or something like something like this. Um, mm-hmm. so on on those more broader outlets, uh, yeah, it's it's definitely. I hear that stuff on my radio in my car, and so I just picture that, and it freaks me out. <laughs> and then I <laughs> then I straighten up and. one of the things that happens over the course of your filming is obviously the the election of donald trump and it's not something that 
that can. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> Uh, and that's not something that could have just been ignored uh, just because it has such a clear intersection with evangelicalism in, in America. And one of the things you mentioned as a result was this sort of, you, you called it like a second deconversion. Whenever, whenever you sort of saw that, and I think a lot of us that, can't, that come from this background also saw it of, and felt it really viscerally of being really upset and like ashamed and angry. Yeah that the institutions that that raised us and taught us good values in a lot of ways was so treacherous and has caused caused such harm to the republic basically <laughs> when i when i heard you say that um i was curious like in some other statements that you make in regards to being like within the christian tradition is that's uh, or still participating or conversing with the Christian tradition. Is that something you still see as your role, or has the experience of the last few years put a little more distance between you and the Christian tradition? Yes, it has. And I I do question... Well, I think part of my experience was I, I didn't realize that it was authoritarianism until this, this election. Um, mm -hmm. hearing Chrissy Stroop talk about the, the authoritarian nature of popular Christian practice. Yeah, it was eye opening and, and I didn't recognize it. I, I understood, I understood it immediately when I saw it through, um, that lens, but, um, I didn't, uh, yeah, I hadn't realized that in its, in its fullness. And that was a shocker. Which is, you know, just my my lack of vision and my, you know my my inability to see. Because as soon as the veil got lifted, it was like, oh, of course, <laughs> that's crazy. like, of course, that's what uh, I've been engaged in. And not to say that everybody practices it the same way or could get it would be categorized as as that. But my feeling definitely is there isn't anything unique about Christianity that makes me think that anybody should prioritize it over any other wisdom tradition mm -hmm. that has ever been um, in terms of trying to sort out what uh, a healthy, balanced, peaceful path in, in life is. Um, I, I think that it's, there are many wisdom traditions through which you can find um, peace, I think, but to hold Christian, Christianity up as as the one true way, the, the odds that somebody's going to wander into Christianity and and believe that it's the one true way are pretty good mm -hmm. if they're into it. And uh, believing that Christianity is the one true way, I think, is um, it, it the fruit just doesn't really bear it out, <laughs> right? Uh, and at this and and it never has for me. But at this point, it became more complete in a way that. Not saying that the Bible is a waste of time, or uh, but there, it's just a slippery slope to something bad. It's hard for me to see it as anything different than that. Um, yeah. At this point, and I don't. It, mostly, I want to stay away just because I don't. I don't have anything nice to say, um, and so I'd be better off <laughs> <laughs> just not engaging. Because um, I just would say, "Hey, come out of there. Let's get you safe." Right. You know, 
And that was a tradition that happened, or transition that kind of happened in real time during while, the film. While the movie was being made, which made the conversations about it fraught, because I'm still really uncomfortable saying that. And I, you know, my buddy Dave Dark would say, avoid negation. And I, I get that. Um, but I, I just see the way that Christianity, and I mean Christianity, I don't, I mean white evangelicalism specifically, sure, but it makes self acceptance almost impossible. I haven't really run into a version of Christianity that I've heard about that. I, I mean, I, and I'm sure, I'm sure I'll get people telling me about it now and I'm, and I'm happy to hear, but I, ha I haven't seen a Christianity that doesn't wind up with somebody in bondage hmm. uh, in their mind <laughs> and yeah. in their, and, and disenfranchised from themselves and not able to their own voice about what's going to keep them safe and, and there are people that are, are are integrating a kind of that into Christianity. But at that point, it's just like it could be anything then, you know, just let it be. Let it be whatever is good. Right. You know? Christianity has a, a way of insisting that it is the one true way. And people can kind of be cool about that. But when it boils down to it, that's what it says. You know, mm -hmm. that's what it says a lot. And um even the way that I that I insinuate that there's a path there that is that is walkable by people, I I worry about that now because I don't see one, um, mm. and I and not that I just don't want to influence anybody into something where they're going to get stuck, right? In it, and um, and I it's hard to see Christianity as anything uh, but that, and like I said, the 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 expressions of Christianity that that back away from that are open-handed enough where, you know, that's great. Then they're not insisting that this is the, it's, you know, the one true way to salvation or whatever. Cause I don't even, <laughs> we just need to plant gardens that produce the fruit we want. I don't, what happens after, I just don't think we can know about or should make plans based on sure. hypotheses. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's a mess here and we have to, we have to we have to start cleaning it up, and it's a physical process. It's mm -hmm. a debt, and and just any any other mission, but that just seems so off to the side right. of of what needs to happen. So yeah, I, I have much less interest in Christianity. Watching it from afar, I, I'm further away from it than I've been, and I don't. I the more if I even on so media when i see things about it i usually just start muting stuff because i just you know what's going to happen <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm tired of watching the same car crash over and over again yeah yeah and that's your music has sort of it's it's engaged with with politics and and has had at least within evangelicalism like sort of had that minority liberal approach I discovered your music when I was like on the campus of Indiana Wesleyan, which had no college Democrats. It only had college Republicans. And so like hearing, hearing a uh, backwoods nation, you know, was like sort of revelatory. <laughs> then listening later to the album, strange negotiations. Now I think of the, of your track people as actually fairly like prophetic in a way. <laughs> of it identifying the like the the lyrics of then your eyes turn green and you broke the machine that just for me sort of encapsulates 
what I think a lot of us felt in those those weeks and months after the 2016 election of trying to process, like in a lot of cases, how our elders and other people that remain in evangelicalism behaved. Yeah. After the financial collapse, the way that people started talking again, you just knew they were setting it up to that there was just more chicanery coming, you know, that, and there was, <laughs> <laughs> I guess people didn't even hear strange negotiations as a particularly political record at the time when it hit. I didn't really realize that cause it seemed like it was all politics to me. Yeah. Mm. And then now I think it maybe reads a little bit more that way, but yeah. Cause that, I mean, that album came out just the year before, right? And was it 2014 or 2015? Strange Negotiations? Yeah. Uh, it was 2010. 2010. Oh. oh, I'm sorry. I've got that way off. I've got my... Oh. No, no. <laughs> I've got, my, I've got my, my calendar way off. I apologize for that. Yeah, we were trying to get a record out as soon after Branches as possible. Was it 2010? I think it was. No, maybe it was 2011. Yeah, sorry. I might have my dates off, too. Um, but yeah... It, I think people, I mean, I just was watching the news and reading the things that I read then and, um, which would have been like Harper's and the Atlantic and mm-hmm. whatever else I, I started, I actually kind of got rid of Harper's cause I thought your, your, um, your outlook's too insane. Like you, you're, I, if I read Harper's only, I couldn't relate to anything that wasn't this like ultra left evaluation of things and it just seemed too extreme it it didn't seem too extreme I worried that because I wasn't able to relate to anything but that that it was maybe an indicator that it wasn't true but it was true (laughs) (laughs) it was true I shouldn't have you know to have averaged it it just was (laughs) um, yeah yeah and remember at the time feeling crazy just feeling like this is the way that I think it's going it it couldn't, it couldn't be, it's too dark, you know, it's too, I, you know, and I'm not saying I knew that Trump was going to get elected or anything like this because, you know, I think there, the last couple of weeks before the election, I think people started realizing like, there's some funny, they're too confident for mm-hmm. what, what we think is going to happen. And that they know something we don't know. And that's a horrible you know, I'm, I'm sure now I just sound like a, a conspiracy nut even saying <laughs> that. We all know what happened, but, um, yeah, you're just watching it thinking like that's – they're either going to be the dumbest, the biggest boobs on the planet or they're going to, you know, or they 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 know something and they knew something. <laughs> There's a little bit of both. <laughs> well, I think that – that this was the this was the line that you would that you would follow. You just right. be the the biggest dum dum ever, mm-hmm. and if and so long as you have no shame and no one can call you on the carpet because you just refuse to be accountable. You just are the slipperiest. You know, uh, what are those are those uh, those uh, uh, wet will? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they kind of Clinton with that and Slick Willie, but there's no one slicker than Trump. He cannot be pinned down because yeah. he's he doesn't have the mental fortitude to even do it. 
you know, to play mm-hmm. by the rules that everyone else is like, it's just, it's, it's such a, it, it's a strategy that was going to win because we are not prepared for that kind of cynicism. Um, mm. And, uh, but yeah, I mean, what are you going to do? I, I would love to talk about what we were talking about earlier. I know that you're the, the question asker, but, um, I guess just a bit of perspective. Part of why I stay away from Christianity is because I just can't find any part of it that doesn't make me cringe. But I I know there must be there must be wings of it that are doing okay. <laughs> is there? One? Yeah, I think that there's a lot. Um, some people still find solace in it. I I'm sort of going through my own reckonings. I, I I've thought that I had sort of landed in a place. And I haven't really talked about this on air yet. You know, I thought I'd landed in, in a in a place of of being comfortable in uh, like a Christian tradition, and also being much more pluralistic and universalist, and and just like not not thinking that that Christianity was special or the only valid type of religion. But um, uh, yeah, I'm having trouble with that right now. <laughs> And and it's because of these reasons, and it's because of just things happening uh, personally. Uh, it's not every day is a little harder right now. <laughs> um, yeah. But so sorry, man, that's really heavy. Uh, I, I mean, yeah, it's it is it is what it is, and I'm like I'm happy. To me, I'm I'm always encouraged by the honesty of folks like you who have been doing your work for so long and just always saying that you're going to be honest about how you feel. Cause I think you're right. Like so much, so much of what a lot of the conversations that I have on the show of people that have left evangelicalism is just about giving them permission. Just like you said, so much of it is just be a goddamn human and like stop trying to be perfect because you never will be. And you, there's so much more to all of this than, than worrying about all of that. But like there are some, there are some branches of Christianity that can be very life giving and life affirming, but they look nothing like where we came from. I mean, just just so far. People find the good in in Christianity, right? And people find a way to exploit the other people, right? Yeah, and then I mean, and it's whether whether you can justify your personal use as life affirming when it's used in a very negative way against so many people to keep, you know, so many people in place, uh, is, is hard to, it's hard to square that. I think that's the part of it is that you, I, I think that it's possible for people to have, I mean, I, I, I talked about David dark, but he's somebody that occupies a space where I think he, I can't, I won't say what I think he thinks or doesn't think, but that there's a space for that expression there and finding a way to strip it of the stuff that doesn't. And I guess that's the, I guess that's ultimately what I'm interested in is um, somewhere I heard the word heretic means to choose Mm. or something like that. And I just think that, if we're really serious about you choose what makes sense to you, you choose what parts of these systems are going to help you find balance. 
And that in and of itself is a revolutionary idea and not compatible with many of the expressions of Christianity that I think we're thinking of. But right. if there's if there's room for that in in someone's practice of it, where it's just like, here's what I think, but you choose. You, it's it's on all of us to make those those determinations about what we hope is true. We right. hope some. It's kind of an exp- an extension of what you're saying, where just figure out what's going on in there and express it, and 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 the the rejection that is such a sure thing in the Christian circles that I grew up in. If you express those things, where you where you you know, you're not even often allowed to ask questions, period. But right. if you just have to say like, oh, that doesn't seem, you know, the more that I think about it, hell just doesn't seem real. It just mm-hmm. seems made up. And that's a valid expression. And it's a valid way to come to a conclusion about something like that, I think. Mm-hmm. But even just to say it that way invites disgust from anybody who's a part of the, the structure of Christianity because they think like you feel like it's not real. Right. What is that? Right. That blah, blah, blah. They're, they're appealing to authority and to get out of that, that, that mode of where I am looking for an authority to appeal to, even though it's just like scrambling up a mountain, like there's nothing to hold on to. Right. And just starting to realize like, well, this, it seems so counterintuitive from how I grew up, but this is the authority. You know, you are the authority on your experience and your your life, and you choose. And so if somebody in that context is like, I'm choosing this Christian practice, and at the same time I'm leaving room for everybody else to choose their own path like I did, right. then I guess two thumbs up. <laughs> two thumbs up, yeah. When you find, but it's the part of 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 denying people right their their, autonomy, yeah, their autonomy and 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 their consciences, denying people a relationship with their own conscience that is that is trustworthy because that's how it went. My conscience, one thing, and they said, no, the Bible says something else, right? And then I have to negotiate with my conscience and basically deny my own conscience in, in situations where it it created enormous tension and being able to bring all those things back online and hearing my own conscience as the authority for my own actions and, and outlook that it, that it really is, it is, has been a very difficult process. And one I'm still not, I'm still in the weeds with sometimes where I just have so much self-loathing and that causes just this rift it's just debt upon debt with with oneself, and um, so I guess that's where I went on and on about this. Um, and maybe we can push our our time if we if we have it. But it, it's it's why it was difficult to talk about Christianity in the movie, and why it's difficult to talk about it now. Yeah, because yeah, I'm still trying to escape aspects of it, and when I see other people express all the various things that people are prone to express about their Christian faith. I just see all of the traps that I fell into. Um, and it's hard to not to see right. anything, but, but I know that we're just in a crisis of the misuse of 
of this wisdom tradition um, that is hmm, 2,000 years and running. I mean, I think that the misuse of it, part of it is the creeds and the, the canon and, and other things. I think that, mm-hmm. that there's more that we have to learn about the history of this, of this wisdom tradition yeah. that has blocked out by Constantine and everything that came after. But so just, I, I, I it's such a difficult thing to, to, to convey my feelings on. And I, I guess I want to be as precise as I am capable of being um, about it because it's a crucial thing that people understand that it's our responsibility to choose because by, by, by um, outsourcing that job, which is what being a part of a big, powerful movement tends to be is outsourcing the job of, of deciding what you think about the world. Absolutely. Uh, Yeah. It, it it means where we got caught with our pants down, our consciences and, and, and our conscience and our conscious brains have not been connected. Right. Um, And then just like it, like, like you have been expressing, like it, it has a sense of disassociation, like from yourself even. Yes. Yeah. And like just in using, using other terminology, it like so many of us weren't taught autonomy or consent, like just thinking about like the way in which lots of people are pressured to say the sinner's prayer when they're like six, you know, three, <laughs> three, really. Yeah. Holy shit. <laughs> so like, and like say that and then sort of always think that your conscience is like split in two because there's you and then there's the Holy spirit screwing around in your head too. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and at that age and in those cultures and where, where you have a relationship with you and they say, uh, 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 you, you have a relationship with God. That's a conduit that they can put in whatever they're going to put in there. Mm-hmm. It's not a person that has immutable qualities. It's this ever-changing set of characteristics that are being supplied anew every week by your pastor or your children's church leader or your uncle or whatever. And it's this conduit that is just this – they are just moving the goal line constantly (laughs) about what this thing is, what this God is. And, yeah, it can be so damaging. Mm Mm-hmm. One of the things that, that we see in the movie that I don't think your fans will, real, will really have seen before is just how much touring and being a musician impacts your home life. And that did seem like this other element of vulnerability um, and openness to the audience and to the viewers that seemed a little, a little different and, and shed a new light on your experiences. I'm curious what that part of the development of the film was like um, for you, Dave. And then Brandon, I'd, I'd love to hear a little bit about how you approached that part of the documentary uh, just by selecting it, selecting different things and, and, and featuring that. Yeah. I mean, I think when it, it come, it comes down to just kind of access, you know, like what, what is possible and, you know, before I try to get too, you know, kind of heady about the way that I, I want to use that, you know, it's really about kind of being sensitive to 
the big picture of, you know, yeah, just the overall story that I'm trying to tell or, or just trying to faithfully retell. Um, and yeah, you know, I think that the, the obvious thing would be to really worry about, and I had bouts of it for sure while we were shooting, you know, like about not having enough access, um, and not including enough of the home life. But, you know, I've also kind of just learned to trust the process and, Mm. you know, that in the end, you know, a documentary is really made in, in the edit and that I know that I can trust myself to, um, to get as much as I possibly can and be sensitive in the moments. Um, but also not, not pushed on things too hard when they aren't, it's not right. And so I'm really, really happy with where it ended up, you know, in terms of the balance. It's, it was really perfect in it. And the way that it worked served the story that we agreed that we were trying to tell, which is about a person trying to find their way home, mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. all of the shots of the family in the first two thirds of the movie are the way that I experienced them, which is, I did. It's like this fleeting thing far away. You can't really grab onto it. And they were shots of the, Anne and the kids when I was on tour and, and our pal Andy Fitz um, was living in the mother-in-law apartment uh, uh, in the downstairs and mm. he was able to go on some little outings and, and have, you know, shoot the family when I was gone. And so seeing those bits of footage myself uh, was like, ah, like, I, you know, it, it really had that feeling of this ephemeral thing that I couldn't quite grab onto. And that was the way that it, it reads in the movie too. Um, and then once I get home and it's quiet and there's dialogue and it's all kind of candid, there isn't sit down stuff, but that's a tension and release that I feel in my life all the time. And so Mm -hmm. the times that I've watched the movie, the many times that I've watched the movie, I always have that same response. It's like physiological response of like, it's, there's a tension and release for me of like, I want to see those people. And then when, when we get to just have, you know, when we're leaving the baseball game and it's just this kind of casual parade of people that, you know, are in the same little group together. It just, I, I long for it so much and, and to, to have it show up in the movie like that with that tension and release just feels really true. Um, mm. and <clears throat> that's what that's probably I, I think it's my favorite favorite part of the movie really is is the overall arc of you start by sort of talking about how much of of your son's life you missed because you had to do these living room shows and then that is like the first parentheses of all these experiences that we see you go through and then the end is you developing a way so you can be home more and that just being the the through line um i mean just being also being a father that that (laughs) that got to me (laughs) yeah well i had to i had to change it even again um going from six weeks on six to 10 weeks off definitely was a massive improvement but i it still wasn't enough and Mm -hmm. so i've i've changed it again where 
for more or less, I'm going to be home for nine months. Um, I, the idea is that I'm, we're going to plan for me to be home for the whole school year and do all of the touring in the summer. Mm. So that, um, cause that, that's the, that's the routine that I want to be integrated in to with the family. And that's the routine that's the hardest to be integrated in if I'm coming and going throughout the, the school year. Um, right. Also just, you know, I thought I had hit bottom in a mental health way in 2016, but I had not. <laughs> it was a low point, but it was not the bottom. And I hit bottom again uh, completely in a different way this summer. And, um, and it was scary, and I knew I had to make even more big changes and figure out a way to find a different kind of balance than I had even ever really dreamt of um, before. Because it got it, it was not it was not good. Mm-hmm. And so, just moving forward and and everything, this the the way in this which this documentary captures the, the how you travel by yourself often um and like and brandon you you use all these like wide establishing shots of like cars moving slowly like from above and everything and and seeing those shots are you happy to like happy to see that chapter of your life sort of close and 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 at least change and and be in a different place um, I was, uh, it was, I was happy for that chapter of my life to close. I think that the amount of alone time that I was spending had turned like a little toxic mm. and, um, but the work that I've been doing since the end of the movie and then especially this year, um, with the release of the movie, it was kind of a it pushed me to do some self work because I, the anxiety that I was feeling about the release of the movie was kind of a lot. And so I was, I, I got this Brene Brown book coincidentally, and I listened to it on the, on this long solo drive to South by Southwest. And it really, it just really helped me break through some, some ways of thinking. Um, and, uh, and now alone time is good again. Mm. Um, uh, it was good for a while because I was escaping uh, effectively enough. I like being in my head and there were certain things, but there was just a lot of places I couldn't go. And now I can face myself in a way that I've never been able to, to face myself before because up till recently I had no idea how I was going to solve my problem of just not having enough oxygen or whatever you call it. Um, and now there's more ease there and, and I can face myself cause I do have a hold of, mm-hmm. of, uh, I, I am on, on a path that, it, that all of everybody here believes is, is, you know, is getting me to where I want to go. And so that means that I can alone time is fantastic now. And so I, I've been doing a little bit more of it, but also band stuff. I, I love doing things on that scale too. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's still a there's still a way that I get I find myself isolated in, on the on the road um, in 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 a group and I'm trying to sp- figure that out I don't know why it, it goes that way mm-hmm. um, and part of it I think is 
yeah, I, I, I've got some leads. Uh, we've, there's five more detectives working on the case. <laughs> <laughs> they got us working. Uh, uh, but, you know, but I don't really know. Like, there's, there's still some things that I, I'm trying to figure out. A lot of it has to do with just my discomfort of being the boss and the fact that I, I don't have um, – the, the kind of relationships in my regular life that I need to sustain me. And so I look for friendship and work relationships in a way that is sabotaging. Mm. Um, and while I think I'm doing way better in that department, um, I'm sure there's still a lot to go because I don't really have those. Um, it, it solved uh, yeah. my sort of personal life. Um, gotcha. So the answer to that question is, the transition that I'm excited about is being less at odds with myself, more uh, at, at peace and more able to to interact and sit and be nice to each other and and see each other and love each other, the, the, in, the inside each other. Um, right. Um, that, that's the part that's great. And that's uh, that helps band touring and solo touring makes them both um, quite a bit better. The movie has helped with that. Writing Phoenix helped with that. Mm. Yeah, I'm trying to only do things that help with that. That's great. So we're doing this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for adding that to the list. <laughs> so what's what's next? What's on the horizon for the, for the documentary as well as for the band Pedro Lyon. Um, the movie is, has been screening throughout the country. Uh, just screened here in Chicago this week and it comes out on the 19th on as a digital release, correct? Yep. Yep. On iTunes. Yeah. I think it's so exciting in the way that people kind of interact with media. You know, I'm just, it's been really fun to, to, to bring the film out in, in these live settings and, mm-hmm lot of kind of house show type environments um but you know realistically this is a this is a pretty personal thing for a lot of people and the way that they interact with music and the way that you know um yeah i don't know i think it will have a a really kind of personal exciting place being watched at home um or on someone's phone (laughs) as it were on their watch yeah (laughs) that's right yeah Uh, just staring at the list you're streaming down as long as they have headphones that's 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 how you intended it to be seen right on on a little for you (laughs) postage stamp (laughs) but yeah you know so I'm, i'm really excited about that i'm excited about kind of it it being out of our control you know Mm -hmm. like i've still been shepherding it to a certain extent Mm -hmm. by doing these screenings and and framing it in a certain way um which i'm just couldn't be more excited about letting my hands (laughs) off the wheel (laughs) and you know just just like letting it do what it's going to do with people and uh yeah hopefully people dig it and find it helpful and and share it and you know the idea is that yeah, that it. I hope that it has the opportunity to transcend, um, you know, just being kind of like a, a music doc or something like that. You know, that people can 
really um, engage with it on a different level as, you know, Dave's music kind of, you know, um, has transcended that, <laughs> demands that, yes. So, yeah, that's, that's kind of what's next is, you know, just, just letting it get out there. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and uh, there will be a new Pedro record in the spring. Wow. Um, and uh, and a bunch of house show tours uh, to support that record. We're not going to go back to clubs this year. Next year we'll play club shows again. But we're going to do like a every other year thing for a minute and do house shows oh, on, awesome. on the odd years or whatever. And uh, I'm really excited about it. Some of the production stuff that we've messed with at clubs, we're going to try to bring. Uh, it's a, It'll be a pared-down group. The record is... Uh, Sounds a bit more like Care or Blanco, mm. um, but with electric guitar too. Um, and so we're going to be presenting it in a in a more stripped down setting, uh, but with some video and some other things too in the in the house show setting. So I'm excited to kind of bridge that stuff. Um, house show 2.0. House show 2.0. <laughs> well, I think the the documentary is is was wonderful to watch. Um, I think there's a lot for people to latch on to, uh, both emotionally and thematically. And I'm so thankful that, uh, that you both worked on it and, and appeared in it. Um, and that people have this as something to refer to if they want to learn a little bit more about your music and, and why it's so important to so many people, because it is, I mean, even for myself, like it, it was one of those things that gave me permission back when I needed it, you know, and that meant the world to me. Um, so I'm really, uh, I'm really glad that this is out there and I think that a lot of people will need to receive it. And, uh, I'm, I'm excited along with you to, to see how people receive it. And Thanks. thank you so much, uh, for talking to me. I know that, that you're in between things right now and I, I'm just so thankful you, you, you took the time to, to chat with me for a bit about this film and if there's any other things you want to plug, either you know socials or, or whatever else um, feel free to because uh, I'd, I'd love to send people your way. Yeah, I mean, I think people people know how to, you know, find it. It's, you know, the name of the film is Strange Negotiations and you find all the channels and that's going to be the, the easiest way to kind of stay up on things. Um, yeah, I'm not good at that. <laughs> <That's>... <laughs> is there, what's the name of the website, Brandon? <laughs> Strangenegotiationsfilm.com. There you go. Awesome. Perfect. <laughs> Thank you, man. Yeah, appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks for coming in. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for having us, Blake. It's, it's an honor. Oh man, you just made my night. <laughs> <laughs>